Good morning. Good to see you all here this morning. Time change and the first Sunday of spring break. You never know what's going to happen. So I'm glad that you're here. Um, a couple things I want to announce. Um, first off, if you're visiting with us today, um, we're grateful that you're here. And uh, my name is Jason Williams. I have the honor of serving as a pastor here. And, and more importantly, I'm a member of this church and you're surrounded by an amazing church family. I hope you've already sensed that coming in today. I hope you'll take a, an opportunity to get to know us and uh, specifically after the service, if you have time, I'm going to hang out um, at the end of the hallway. There's a room on the left. Um, and basically, I just go down there to kind of get out of the way. And I'd love to meet you. If you're, again, if you're new here or visiting with us today, I'd love the opportunity uh, to get to talk with you. Um, a couple things I want to announce before we uh, go any further. Um, so um, if you missed last Sunday and missed the Commitment Sunday for All In, um, we do have the commitment cards in the chairs in front of you. We're going to be doing that for two more weeks today and then next Sunday. Um, and then we're going to release um, the, the full number on March 26th. If you have no idea what that is, um, no worries, but, but you're welcome to go to our website and find out more information, click on All In, and kind of hear about what God is doing kind of behind the scenes here, uh, preparing our church for the next chapter. So I want to let you know about that. Um, also, I uh, wanted to uh, let you know a little bit more details on this new student minister that we've hired. Um, if you've got the, uh, the member's email, you saw that announcement. Um, and so you may be wondering, where is he? Where is Jeremy at? So uh, Jeremy is finishing up, Jeremy Williams is finishing up a commitment at his uh, current church on Sunday mornings, but he started this past week on Wednesday here. So he's here on Wednesday nights. Uh, this last Wednesday was a great kickoff night. Uh, and so excited about what God's going to do through him and the amazing team of volunteers who serve in student ministry and excited about what that means for our church. But he is not going to be here in person on Sundays um, until May. However, next Sunday, he will be here in person uh, on the 19th, so you'll get a chance to meet him if you want to meet him. Uh, he and his wife, Lauren, will be here next Sunday. So there's the details on that. Um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 11 this morning. We're picking up the sermon series in Acts. We've been at this now since September. We've taken a couple short breaks. Um, we're in Acts chapter 11. So if you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bible, or if you didn't bring a Bible and you want to follow along, we'll have um, the scriptures on the screen. Um, but we'll also, we also have Bibles around you, under the seats around you. And if you don't own a copy of God's Word, that's our free gift to you. We want you to have a Bible, and so take that home with you. Um, that's yours. Now, only the black hardback one. So if you find like a pink one with somebody's name in it, that's not ours. We can't give that one away. Uh, but the black hardback Bibles are there. If you, if you need one, we'd love for you to have that. So just a quick refresher. I'm going through the book of Acts, uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, allowing God to speak to us as a church and to paint a picture for us of what it looks like to be a church um, that is uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit, pursuing the mission of Christ. And so our title for this series is Acts, the Unstoppable Church. So let me just say a couple of things. If you're new here, what we're not saying is that Solid Rock has it all together. Matter of fact, the longer you hang out with us, the more you realize we don't have it together. So when we talk about being unstoppable, it's not because we've got a great program here or a great staff or great leadership. What we're talking about is a church that is sold out for Christ, empowered by his Holy Spirit and guided by his Holy Spirit, is in fact unstoppable. It's the reason why you and I are sitting here today. Throughout church history, many attempts by different, uh, different authorities, different governments have tried to stamp out Christianity. And, and what we've seen is that the church has not only survived, but has flourished and grown. Despite, uh, right, despite the best attempts to stamp out the movement of God, it is in fact proven to be unstoppable. And so as a church, we're just a small part of that movement. Right? We're just a small drop in the bucket of what God is doing here on earth. So when we say unstoppable church, we're not talking about how awesome Solid Rock is. We're talking about God's kingdom. 
And so what we're looking at then is through the book of Acts, this narrative of the church launching with this singular mission to take this good news that Jesus has died on the cross, resurrected from the grave, and that by believing in him, you can have a forgiveness of sins, a relationship with God, and a promise of eternity. That's the good news of Jesus. And so the church is launching an Acts, taking that message, that story, to the ends of the earth. And we're just reading it chapter by chapter. So now in chapter 11, we've noticed uh, when we were about six weeks ago in chapter 10 that the story has kind of turned a corner uh, in a significant way. So let me kind of refresh you on where we are. So the first nine chapters of the book of Acts, the primary focus is on what's happening in Jerusalem and what's happening through the leadership of Peter. Now what's going to happen is we're going to begin to see a new city kind of take the stage. It's the city of Antioch. And we're also going to see a new leader begin to emerge through Saul, who will later on, a few chapters later, begin to be called Paul. Okay, And this is the same guy who was leading the persecution against the church. Jesus radically saved him. And now he's going to enter in as, 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 a, as a emerging leader in the church out of Antioch. And so the rest of Acts... Uh, the primary uh, focus is going to be on what's, ha- what's happening from Antioch, this new springboard of ministry, and what's happening through Saul, who will later be called Paul's ministry. So we're going to pick it up in verses 19 and 20. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now what we just got was a good reminder of some of the details of the story of the church. Uh, First of all, we're reading about Christians being scattered because of persecution, okay? That began early on in the book of Acts, but it really culminated. The fires really heated up around chapter 7 when we saw Stephen get arrested. Stephen was a new leader in the church. Matter of fact, he didn't sign on to preach. He signed on to help serve food, just volunteer. And that was in chapter 6. And in chapter 7, he gets arrested, and he steps up to proclaim Christ. Now he's preaching. He preaches an amazing sermon in Acts chapter 7, and it ends with his death. And what happens is the people don't like what Stephen has to say, so they drag him out of Jerusalem to the edge of the city, throw him in a pit, and they throw rocks at him until he dies. Okay, and, that, and so what happens in chapter 8, the very next chapter, is the Christians begin to scatter out of Jerusalem. Now, from their perspective, they're running for their life, right? But from God's perspective, something bigger is happening. Because when we look at the beginning of the book of Acts, in Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus tells his followers something. He says this, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you, you'll receive power when my Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem So far, so good. And then he says, and in Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And so as persecution heats up, what God does is he uses this to scatter the disciples from Jerusalem and begin to see this vision or this mission from Jesus become a reality as the disciples flee. Now the problem is, up until chapter 10, as they go out and they're also sharing the gospel, they're only sharing it with the Jews. Now there's some reasons for that. We could assume probably some heart issues may be going on, but there were some logistical reasons for that. Language, culture, background, Um, but but to just kind of put things practically, as a Christian, you're sharing the gospel with somebody who has a Jewish background. They already know the Old Testament. 
So when you proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah, right, if they're Jewish, they get that. They understand that. So you get to fast forward to the part where God sends his son to be born of a virgin and walk on earth and die. And, and so the, the great uh, passages from the Old Testament are coming up, Isaiah 53. And so for the Jewish person, right, it's a little bit easier, at least, to get the gospel message out. They were overlooking those who weren't Jewish. Maybe they were uncomfortable with it. Maybe they just didn't want to do the hard work of having to start from scratch. Because a lot of these uh, Gentiles came from like a polyistic back, the, theological background. They believed in many gods or the Greek gods. And so you kind of had to deconstruct all that to get to the point of, no, let me tell you about the one true God who sent his son Jesus. So it was a lot of work. And so for whatever reason, as the, the Christians scattered out of Jerusalem, they took this gospel message with them. They skipped over the Gentiles and just shared it with the Jews. Well, this all changed in chapter 10 through God's orchestration. We looked at this story where um, there, was, uh, there was a man in Caesarea. God gave him a vision and told him to send a couple of his servants to Joppa and look for Peter. Well, at the same time, God was speaking to Peter. He was in Joppa and gave him this vision and told Peter, don't you call things unclean that I've called clean. And he basically uses this vision to, to break Peter's heart for the Gentiles because Peter was one of those guys who had been skipping over the Gentiles, doing what was easy and comfortable. God broke his heart. And so these guys show up in Joppa like, hey, we're here to get you, Peter, and take you back to Caesarea. Peter goes back to Caesarea, and what does he do? He shares the gospel, and Gentiles get saved. And what was the tangible expression of this? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, this was a significant moment in the story of the church, because now, outside of the the walls of Jerusalem, beyond the barriers of Jerusalem, and beyond the ethical barriers of being Jewish, now we have Gentile believers. And that was chapter 10. So now what we have here in this first part of the narrative today, we're seeing this, that as the Christians were scattered, because of the persecution of Stephen, they traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, and they were speaking only to the Jews. But, verse 20, which really sets the stage for Antioch, there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who were coming to Antioch to speak to the Hellenists also. A Hellenist is a, non, or is a Greek-speaking non-Jew, a Gentile. Okay, So they spoke Greek, They understood linguistically what was going on, but culturally they were not Jewish. And here in Antioch, they're hearing the gospel for the first time. Now there's a subtle change here in the way that Jesus is referred to that you may not have picked up on. He's referred to here as, he's referred here as, you get that out, one more try, one more try, it'll come, it'll come. He's referred to as the Lord Jesus here, not Jesus Christ. You may not even notice that, why? Because the word Christ means Messiah. To somebody with a Jewish background, that would make sense because you're saying Jesus the Messiah. But remember, these are Hellenists. They don't have any kind of understanding of the Old Testament, the Jews. And so he's proclaimed as the Lord Jesus, which they understand the concept of Lord. And so here, what we're going to see now going forward, a matter of fact, as Jesus is referred to in the book of Acts, um, he's referred to as the Christ. Over two-thirds of those accounts have already happened in the first half of Acts. From here on out, most of the time, he's going to be referred to as the Lord Jesus. Now, Um, A couple things that I want to point out here. So, what we see happening here is ultimately God's plan. How do we know that? Because what Jesus said in Matthew 28 to his disciples, before he ascended back to the Father, he said, you guys go and make disciples of the nations. It's the Greek word ethnos, which translates ethnicities or races. And so we know from the beginning this mission that God was on, right, to bring salvation and take this good news out was for any race, any color of skin, any language, any ethnicity, any, right? And so we knew that was part of the mission from the beginning. 
Yet it took us 10 chapters into the book of Acts for it to happen. We also know from Acts 1.8 that Jesus said, once again, you'll, you'll receive power and my Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the earth. So we knew this was a geographic mission as well. And so what we see here now and what we're reading here is that finally th- this mission is being realized. This is a big deal for, for this culture, right? Because why? They don't have internet. They don't have telephone. They have electricity. If they're going to fulfill what Jesus told them to do, they're going to have to take this message by foot and mouth to the ends of the earth. Think about that. They can't get on a plane and fly to the Philippines, right? They couldn't get in a car and drive to Yukon, Oklahoma. They didn't have the, the opportunity, like maybe many of you have, to have an online platform of, you know, some type of social media platform where you can communicate with people, share things, and encouraging scriptures, all those sorts of things, and share part of your faith that way. These guys had to take it by foot, by mouth, to the ends of the earth. And so now here we see in chapter 11, this is finally happening. Now what I want to do is I want to look at verse 21 with you for a minute. I think this is the heartbeat of this entire part of the, of the story. Verse 21 says this, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Now, that's a big verse. The hand of the Lord was with them. When you read about the hand of the Lord, especially in the Old Testament, it's a big deal, right? When the hand of the Lord moves, the seas are parted, rivers are dried up, water comes out of dry land. Like when the hand of God moves in the Old Testament, it's a big deal, right? And so this is a big statement here to say that the hand of God moved in Antioch. Now, I think for most of us, I think it would be safe to assume on some level we want the hand of God to move in our lives. Now, we typically want it to happen and move on our terms, right? In a fulfillment of our ambitions and our mission, and this is how we pray, right? Oh, God, bless this. Let me have this. Help me acquire this. Let me find favor in this situation. And oftentimes, we're asking for the hand of the Lord to move. That's what we're asking for, right? I want you to move, God. But we typically pray it and ask for it within our terms, according to our mission. Now, I want to point, point that out here, that this idea that the hand of the Lord moved follows the narrative of finally, there's some mission alignment with the church. The church is finally beginning to align their personal mission with the mission of God. I want us to think about that. Do you desire for the hand of the Lord to move in your life? Are you asking the Lord to move his hand according to your terms, your mission, your ambition? Or are you asking the Lord to move in your life and for his hand to move in your life according to his will? His will be done. Right, Because I think we, we like the idea of God blessing us and his hand moving in our life, but are we willing to align our mission with the mission of Christ? So um, at Solid Rock, um, one of the um, concerns that we, we have about doing mission trips, okay? we do a lot of mission work, locally, nationally, internationally. Right, That's our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. But one of the, the possible liabilities of doing mission trips or mission projects is that we could, we could come underneath the false assumption that this is somehow living the mission. Now, mission trips are good. We're going to see in the next chapter uh, missionaries go out. But what we have to understand as Christ followers is that we're all missionaries. It's what Jason Martin was talking about when he was leading us in worship earlier. Shout it from the mountains. You have mountains in your life, platforms that God's given you. 
in your family, at your job, in your neighborhood, different organizations you're involved in. You have all these different platforms that you've been given by God, right, to be a mouthpiece for him. If you're in Christ, you're a missionary, right? And so what we're seeing here is that, that really for all of us, if we want the hand of God to move in our lives, it's about mission alignment, not talking God into doing what we want him to do. It's about saying, God, you know what? These were my plans. This was my mission. I'm gonna lay these things down. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth in my life as it is in heaven. And we begin to surrender our lives in that way and align our lives to the mission of God. His hand is going to move. And what will be the tangible evidence of God's hand moving in your life? Bank account going up? Kids finally becoming obedient, right? Finally get that house in the right neighborhood? No, here's what it is. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. That's what God wants to do in and through your life primarily. Is God against blessing you in other ways? Not at all. We see him blessing barren women with children. We see him blessing men and women financially. We see him pouring out other forms of blessings, but they're all secondary to the primary thing God wants to do in your life. He wants to move through your life that a great number of people might turn to him. I was talking um, this past weekend about um, why we do three services here. So if you're new here, we have three services on Sundays, and, uh, and it's, sometimes it's hard. Now, a lot of times it's hard, especially on volunteers. Many of you serve in one or two services and come to service, and it's hard. And when we do the math on how many people show up here on Sundays, if we could perfectly break the number in two, we could actually get away with two services that are completely full and would be really exciting, okay? The problem with that is, is twofold. One, it's that we can't perfectly get everybody assigned to the right service, so right, what's gonna happen? You're just gonna, people are just gonna shift. The second problem is there's no room for us to live the mission. What we would be saying is we're content with where we are, God. We're satisfied. We've arrived, We've accomplished the mission you've set forth for us in this community. This 15 acres you blessed us with debt-free, you gave it to us to mow. We're just going to mow it. We're going to weed eat it, right? We'll make sure the trash stays picked up. That's why you gave us these 15 acres. No. God has not blessed us with this property debt-free and given us a vision for growth so we can just sit on it. We haven't arrived. We do three services, so not just so you can have options, I love that it gives you options, but we do it to make room for you to live the mission. You're a missionary. You've been called and platformed by God to take the hope you have in Christ to the people around you. Your work, your neighborhood, your family, your barista, your waiter, your waitress. I love it. You have no idea how it makes my heart sing. When I get to meet somebody who walks in and I say, oh, good to meet you, yeah, yeah. And they say, yeah, I was invited by so-and-so. Really? You didn't just find our website or see one of our stickers or one of our other forms of marketing, like somebody told you about our church? Like that makes me excited, right? Because you're living the mission in your everyday life. All right, verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. You getting a mental picture? All this is happening at Antioch. Lots of amazing stuff. Word gets sent back to Jerusalem, kind of headquarters for the church. 
And so they, the, the leaders in Jerusalem, sent Barnabas to Antioch, and when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. You catch the, you catch the gist here from Luke. He wants us to see not only that, 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 that non-Jewish people were becoming Christians, but like a great number of people were coming to the Lord in Antioch. Now, earlier on in the book of Acts, he used to count them for us. Acts 2, 3,000 men became believers. I think Acts 4 begins with 5,000. Now, we're well beyond counting here. And when he, when we, so we read about the hand of the Lord moving in a great number here. But he's saying it's beyond counting. What was happening in Antioch was amazing. Now, what I want us to understand in the, in the story of the church is this. Finally, the barriers are being, are being broken down. This is a church without walls. No more geographical boundaries, right? Disciples are coming from Jerusalem to Antioch. Word is going back. We're seeing that, that, that the churches begin to interact with other churches and other cities. We're also beyond the ethnic or racial barriers as well. Right, so this is the church without barriers or walls or boundaries. Now, let's talk about what it looks like for you and I to live that way. Without barriers, without boundaries, living on mission for Christ. So it's one thing to read about it with the church, right, in the first century. It's a whole other thing to talk about what, how you and I live that out in 2017. Let's throw, the, let's throw our barriers into three categories. Let's talk about comfort first. By show of hands, who struggles with the idol of comfort? Just kidding. I'll look at you brave souls. You were willing to get uncomfortable for a minute to raise your hand, right? The rest of us are really the ones that struggle with it, right? Because we didn't want to raise our hands and be uncomfortable. Uh, Comfort, right? It's a big deal to us here in 2017, United States. I like things fast and at my fingertips and I like it customized the way I like it until I get bored with it and then I want it another way, right? So we're all too familiar with comfort. So let's talk about the reality. If we're going to align our lives to the mission of Christ, we are going to have to be willing to be uncomfortable, right? That conversation God is calling you to have with that family member or that coworker or that neighbor is going to be uncomfortable. Why? First of all, I don't know how to start it, right? God, you're calling me to go have a conversation with my neighbor. I don't even know how to start it. It's going to be uncomfortable. So if we're going to align our lives with the mission of Christ. We're going to have to be willing to be uncomfortable, right? Our Comfort zone. I love how we talk about our comfort zone as though it's like an American right. Like we have this comfort zone. Yeah, it's going to be uncomfortable. Absolutely. Guess what? It's also going to be hard. God might bring somebody into your life, one of those hard-headed, agnostic, atheist type who just have you know, studied this and they've got every question under the sun. Listen, you, first of all, you were just as hard-headed, so let's not just cast that judgment. But second of all, nobody has ever been one to Christ by winning an argument. It's the love of Jesus that compelled you, and that's the only thing that will compel them, and so guess what? That's a long, hard mission, to be steadfast and patient, continue to invest in somebody's life even when they're not reciprocating it back to you. How about that family member? Maybe even a spouse who's not a believer. I mean, God's called you to a hard mission, right? Difficult, right? And so what God's calling the church to, he's calling us to, to not only be willing to be uncomfortable to live this mission, but we're going to have to be willing to do hard work, long-suffering, lots of investment, lots of getting frustrated, lots of taking that frustration to the Lord and submitting it, allowing him to realign our hearts, 
Reengaging in the mission. It might even be dangerous. Certainly was dangerous for these folks. For any Christian to walk the streets of any of these cities was a, was a death sentence. So if we rewind back to Acts 7, where they're killing Stephen, right? Acts 8.1 says that Saul, who we're going to read about in just a minute, was there approving of his death. Then in chapter 8, Saul goes to the powers that be and asks for written permission to go travel city to city and to kick down the doors of houses and drag Christians not only out into the streets, place them under arrest so that they can be killed. Even though Saul has been radically changed by Jesus, those orders still stand. There's still a death sentence on Christians at this point in time. So just to walk the streets and to be known as a Christian was a dangerous thing. I was thinking about um, our mission work in the Philippines. If you're not aware, we, we do ends of the earth missions work in the Philippines, working with tribes that have never heard the gospel. Um, we've been at this now for five years. Um, this summer, we've got a team that's gearing up right now, getting ready to go. Um, I did notice, though, once we took the motorcycle ride out of it, how the attendance on the trip just shot up. Um, but, 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 but rest assured, the danger factor is not gone. Okay? All three categories are going to be in play in the Philippines this summer with her families. It's going to be uncomfortable, trust me. That plane, doesn't matter how many movies you have at your fingertip, it's going to be uncomfortable. Right? It's going to be hard. Right? I, I think we, you know, we think this is going to sometimes be like camping. We get to go spend the night out in the wilderness for a night at the perfect time of year. Then you get to come home to your air conditioner. I mean, these are days and nights without refrigerated air in a vehicle or in a home or in a building. It's going to be very uncomfortable. It's going to be very hard. Dietary, sleep, all, all of you up. It's also going to be dangerous. Every year from about mid-spring until that trip launches, as an elder body and our missions team pastor, we're, we're constantly making assessment of the travel warnings and the travel dangers for Christians in the region that we're in. And for the last two years, it's come down to the wire of just watching it and praying and saying, God, do you still want this team to go? Because it's not going to be safe. And so I think sometimes we take for granted that Right? We've been called to a comfortable, easy, safe mission. There's nothing comfortable, easy, or safe about the mission of Jesus. And it's not for the elite Christians, the select few. Every follower of Jesus is called to be a missionary. So I'm just wondering, what is it that would compel us to move beyond these barriers to begin living the mission? I have two answers for you that I think are the only two answers that, really, um, that would really matter. First of all, that you have, first of all, found something in Jesus that you found more valuable than anything else on earth. If you haven't come to that place, chances are you're not gonna give up anything for him. Certainly not gonna give up things that are hard. So first of all, you've come to a place where you found in Jesus a treasure that's more valuable than any other relationship, any other possession you have. Second of all, that you've come to a place where you've realized what's at stake. So what's at stake right now in Yukon, Oklahoma? working with low-income families, working in uh, parts of the city that are, that are, that are, that are um, steeped with crime and all sorts of things like that? Are we just trying to get people off drugs? Is that what's at stake? Are we just trying to, for a, for a few days there on the ground, um, show a child that, that they are loved by somebody from Fort Worth for a few days and then come back home? What's at stake? I love the way that, um, that C.S. Lewis puts it. Um, in uh, The Weight of Glory, 
C.S. Lewis he talks about every encounter that you have with another human being. Listen to how he describes every encounter you have with every human being. He says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Think about that. Every human being you've ever interacted with is an eternal being headed to one of two destinies. He goes on to say this. He says, nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours like the life of a gnat. So he's describing the, the modern American day way of life. And he's saying, that's like the lifespan of a gnat compared to you. Then he goes on to say this. But it is immortals whom we joke with and work with, and marry, and snub, and exploit. They are either headed to immortal horrors or everlasting splendors of heaven. That's C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory. He's communicating that we've got to understand what's at stake here, right? What would, what would compel us to be uncomfortable, do the hard work, and maybe even the dangerous work, is that we come to a place where we realize what's at stake, That family member that you know God wants you to talk with, but you can't figure out how to get the conversation started and you're worried, or you've tried it and been rejected and you still feel like God's calling you to share, or that coworker who's just a jerk and you've watched him be a jerk to others, but you know God's calling you to love and reach out to this person. What compels you to do that? One, you found that Christ is more valuable to you than what he or she thinks about you, and two, you realize what's at stake. That's the only way mission alignment happens, church. It's the only way. Right? We can't just talk about filling seats in a room. We can't just put t-shirts on and say, there, I'm living the mission. Like We've got to be willing to step outside of comfort, to step outside of what's easy, and to potentially even step into what's dangerous for the sake of the mission of Christ. It's true of the church in the first century, and it's true of Solid Rock in 2017. Verse 25. So Barnabas... Remember, he came from Jerusalem. Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Okay, he's still not going by Paul yet. That's chapter 13. But now he's a believer. So Barnabas goes to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. Now, what is that a description of? That's actually what Jesus told his disciples to do. Matthew 28, he said, go make disciples of the nations. How? By baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and what is it? And what? Teach them to observe all that I've commanded. We can't make disciples simply by being evangelistic and sharing the hope we have in Christ and then walking away. We've got to be willing to roll up our sleeves and get in the trenches with people. We've got to be willing to live life with people. Right? We don't just check a box once a person says, I'm a Christian now, and we walk away. That's where we roll up our sleeves and really get busy. Discipleship, teaching, learning. I think we have this, at least I grew up in, you know, in kind of the rural Southern Baptist conservative world, which has got a lot to offer the kingdom of God, so I don't speak of it from a negative perspective. But one thing that misconception that I learned was that the gospel was simply evangelism. And so for for what I learned was the gospel was like a six-step process to get somebody to pray a prayer. And I realized that the gospel is broader than that. 
Like the, the gospel is outlined in the whole Bible. Genesis to Revelation is about the gospel. And so I share the gospel with you to tell you how much God loves you, that he might awaken something in you and you would come to him. But guess what? Then we roll up our sleeves and you and I start learning the gospel. You didn't, God didn't bring you here today to learn more Bible verses. He wants you to learn more deeply about the love he has for you. He wants you to understand more deeply just how far you've come. He wants you to, to come to even a deeper understanding and knowledge of, of the desperation of your situation before he called you, before he saved you. He wants you to understand more deeply today just how much he loves you. He wants you to grow in your understanding of his love. Not arrive and plateau, but grow in it. So what did Saul and Barnabas teach the Christians here? Taught them the gospel over and over and over. And what was the result? And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, I don't think that was meant to be a slap in the face to Jerusalem, right? But this was the first place where those who proclaimed to follow Jesus were, were known or mentioned as being Christians, little Christs, Christ-like people. So I think what Luke, who's writing this, is trying to get at is this, that there was a complete identity shift for the Gentiles in Antioch. Formerly, right, they were Greek-speaking Gentiles, and now their identity was what? Christ. If you are a Christian here today, your primary identity is that you are a Christian. That's not a label that you slap onto your name, right? I'm not Jason Williams, who is also a Christian. I am, first and foremost, a Christ follower. And, oh, by the way, in this life here on earth, I go by Jason Williams, Lots of moms and dads in the room. That's a really important, God-given, ordained role. Lots of husbands and wives in the room. But did you know that's not your primary calling? First and foremost, if you're a Christian, you are in Christ. You're a son and a daughter of the Most High God first. From there, you're a husband, wife, mom, dad, friend. Right? We have to see that. And what we're reading as this in Antioch was the first place right, where they were given this name. You have a new identity now, and your name is Christian. I want to I land in two places today. First place is this. I want to talk to the Christians in the room, okay, who are like me. We, we so easily and quickly forget, don't we, just how far God has brought us, just how much forgiveness he's poured out on us. When God has forgiven us and unlocked the chains of shame, we felt that freedom. It's easy for us to forget that, isn't it? And to take for granted the love and the mercy of God. For those of us who've, who've been in that place in our life where we've thought deeply about eternity and, and wanting to, desiring to be with God and, and that our security is now in Christ, and, and it's easy for us to take that for, for granted isn't it? and forget that that's what's at stake here in this life. Not a profit loss statement, not the neighborhood I get to buy a house in. At the end of the day, eternity is the thing that matters. And Christians, my prayer for us today is that we would all take a moment to do some personal inventory and think about the mission we're living. What's driving you tomorrow? What is it? You're gonna do things tomorrow, I hope. Right? You're gonna do things, commitments. You're gonna give energy away. You may give money away. What is the mission you're on in doing these things? 
I also want to talk to those who are here today who maybe you're not a Christian. I want you to understand some things. First of all, God loves you. And, and don't just take my word for it. Like, read his word. We've got these beautiful promises from God that he so loves you that he was willing to give his only son for you. That by believing in him, you would have eternal life. Let that sink in. I want you to know something, that whenever you decide to follow Jesus and trust him, it's a faith move. It's nothing you can do on your own. It's just stepping towards God in faith and saying, I believe. God, forgive me of my sins. Give me eternal life with you. I believe it. But I want you to know something. In that moment, something changes forever. And it's the kind of change that you'll never regret. God's gonna give you a new way to see the world. It's like almost... The Bible calls it going from blindness to being able to see. You're gonna have new purposes in life, new things stirring in your heart that weren't there before. The Bible describes this as coming from death to life, where the resurrection of Jesus becomes our resurrection, and we walk not just alive biologically, but alive spiritually. And forever, your identity will be changed. Whatever your identity markers are in this life, whatever failures you have that that maybe you feel like are marking you, Mistakes you made in high school, mistakes you've made in marriage, mistakes you've made in parenting, mistakes you've made in your career at work, just mistakes you've made in your friendships. What Jesus is gonna do is he's gonna wipe all those identity markers away and you're only gonna have one identity marker and it's gonna be him. He says, I bought you with a price and you're no longer your own. You belong to me. You don't get to self-identify as a failure or a sinner anymore. You're now a Christian. And if you're here today and you have not trusted Christ, I want you to know that hope is available for you. No pressure at all, but I want you to know this. In the next two songs that we sing, um, our prayer partners are gonna be in the back of the room. You'll know who they are because they'll have a lanyard on that says prayer partner. Um, But I want you to know this. They show up every Sunday eager to get to talk with somebody and pray with somebody. They would love the opportunity to talk to you about becoming a Christian and pray with you, answer any questions you have, okay? If maybe today during the singing, you just want to stay seated and just kind of think about what God's speaking to you, I want you to feel permission to do that, okay? No, no pressure to have to stand and sing. If you want to stand and sing, you can, you can do that as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now and just ask him to move in our hearts and speak to us now. Worship team, if you guys would come back up, let's, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this moment in time. Thank you, God, that you um, have chosen this moment. You've called us all here together to hear a very specific message from you. And God, it's not a message that I can deliver. God, it's only one that you can deliver. God, thank you for speaking to us today. So God, all across the room, I'm praying now that we would be open to your Holy Spirit moving. For some of us, that means standing and singing and just continuing to shout from the mountains about how excited we are that you love us and you saved us. And God, for others of us, it's maybe just sitting a while and just contemplating and thinking about um, how Acts 11 should transform our week. And so God, I, I wanna just ask that your spirit would move as we sit and contemplate. And God, maybe somebody here today is thinking about taking that courageous, very uncomfortable step of becoming a Christian. God, would you give them the courage they need to step out of their seat and and find one of our prayer partners today? 
however you see fit to move, God, would you move among us now? We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus.